So, happy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. Now, I know that the world of professional athletics is perhaps a bit anathema to our Unitarian Universalist values, and certainly the Buddhists among us are probably not particularly interested in the success versus failure dynamic of our modern sports culture. But today features one of the most watched television events of the year in North America, and I would argue we have both the opportunity and the obligation to consider the lessons of competitive athletics as potential metaphors for our own spiritual lives. So I begin by asking, what is a scapegoat? Anyone, what's a scapegoat? Jennifer. It's someone or something you put all the blame on as dead guilt. <laughs> blame, that's the key word. So we've seen a couple very famous scapegoats this morning from the world of baseball. Bill Buckner, who was the first baseman for the Boston Red Sox in 1986, and Steve Bartman, who was an unlucky fan. <clears throat> so Buckner made that error on what might have been a relatively easy play at first base. And yes, the Red Sox did lose the game in the 10th inning as a result. But does anyone know what game of the series it was? Yeah. Game six. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It was the sixth game of the series, and the Red Sox were up three games to two in the best of seven world series. So even after the error, they still had an entire game left to play. And guess what? With zero errors from poor Bill Buckner in game seven, they still lost. So that's, that's real hard to pin the whole series on poor old Bill, but for the 18 years between the 1986 series and when the Red Sox finally won in 2004, Bill Buckner was one of the most hated men in all of Boston. His name was synonymous with failure and bending under pressure and was pretty much blamed for robbing the city of Boston what many claimed to be their birthright, the World Series Championship. Now, Steve Bartman is arguably even more innocent of blame than Buckner. First of all, he was a fan. He wasn't even a player on the field. He had no intention of affecting the game, and as a lifelong Cubs fan, certainly had no intention of doing anything that would hurt his team. But his hand in the way of the ball, among several other fans' hands, I might, uh, might mention, even though that did most likely prevent an out, it would have been just the second out, and it was the eighth inning of the game. And anyone want to guess what game of the seven-game series it was? Six. Game six! So the Cubs, who at the time of that fan interference, or whatever you want to call it, the Cubs were leading 3-0 to zero in the eighth inning of that game. They still had five outs to make to the end of the game, which they eventually did, but not before giving up 
eight runs on five hits, two walks, and two errors in the eighth inning alone. I'm going to say that again. After Steve Bartman potentially prevented what would have been the second out of three outs in the eighth inning, the Cubs committed two fielding errors, gave up five hits and two walks, which resulted in eight runs. And like Buckner's Red Sox 17 years before, they still had an entire Game 7 to play. And they did. And they lost anyway. So the question remains why these two human beings, who really had so little to do with the ultimate failure of their respective teams, both became the object of such blame. I would argue it goes back to the origins of the scapegoat itself, which comes to us originally from the Hebrew tradition. But when we're talking about scapegoats, it's important to remember that the ancient Hebrews practiced a very different religion than the one that modern Jews practice. In Israel, thousands of years ago, uh, the, the ancient Hebrew religion was one that was based on and centered around large-scale ceremonial worship of the high priests at the central temple in Jerusalem. Now, once a year, according to Leviticus, on the Day of Atonement, which we now know as Yom Kippur, the high priest would offer a sacrifice of a bull for his own sins, to cleanse himself in the eyes of God for all of his own sins, and then in turn would offer two goats to symbolize the corporate sin of the entire Israelite family. One of the goats would be killed as a blood sacrifice, and the other, chosen by Lot, would be sent into the desert to wander the wilderness. So in this way, the sins of the Israelites would be washed away by the blood of the slain goat and removed from the community via the wandering goat. Now, modern Christianity uh, sees the death and subsequent resurrection of Jesus as the proverbial goat whose sacrifice cleanses human sin in the eyes of God. And there are myriad other examples of scapegoating in the ancient world. The Greeks were famous for the horrific sacrifices which were intertwined with their dramas. Think Oedipus Rex putting out his own eyes as punishment for the crime he only later realizes that he himself committed. And in pre-Christian Northern Europe, shepherds would often keep intentionally crippled or lame animals among their herds as sacrifices to the wandering wolves, thus protecting the more valuable sheep and livestock from attack. But these literal scapegoats are really a far cry from the ones we've lifted up this morning, those who seemingly take the blame for the entirety of a team's failure. And both of these famous, now infamous, scapegoats are, as we've seen, hardly to blame for their respective team's plight. So again, I ask, why are Buckner and Bartman's names still synonymous with failure? Why do people remember the ball that went between Buckner's legs more than the whole of Game 7 
which clinched the World Series for the Mets. Why do more people focus on Bartman's interference on a ball out of play than on the two glaring errors made on that field in that very same inning? Well, perhaps this is because the scapegoating phenomenon goes to the deepest part of our Western psyche, our desperate attachment to success and failure in our competitive nature as a culture. Both the Red Sox and the Cubs had long suffered from a lack of success. The Red Sox would wait 86 years in between championship seasons. The Cubs finally getting over the hump last year after 108 years of painful endings. So for reference, in the time between the Cubs' last two championship seasons, wait for it, the radio was invented. Four states were admitted to the Union. The television and the computer were invented. The U.S. participated in two world wars and five major armed conflicts. The National Football League was founded. Man landed on the moon. Haley's Comet passed the Earth twice. And so on. Of course, added to that list was the sad fact that entire generations of Chicago Cubs fans lived and died without seeing their team win the series. This is, of course, a source of great frustration. And it's not surprising, if admittedly a little sad, that it is easier, or at least more convenient, to focus on one high-profile botched play or missed opportunity than the countless other failures that really cause the outcome or in some cases, a century's worth of outcomes. It's also not surprising, if admittedly very sad, that we often find it easier to focus on a single thing, a single play, a single decision, than acknowledge that all successes and all failures are really the result of lots of other things, many, many other things that are much more difficult to observe or dissect, but why should we care about Bill Buckner or Steve Bartman? What does it really matter to the rest of us, save those long-suffering Red Sox and Cubs fans? Well, the danger is, of course, that anyone can be made a scapegoat. In fact, the whole of the Holocaust and much of the history of fascism has been built on the idea of a scapegoat. In the years leading up to Germany's invasion of Austria and Poland, in the true beginning of World War II, Germans faced the most difficult depression in the modern era. Heavily punished by the victors of World War I, Germany saw wide-scale unemployment, poverty, and a national pride that had been severely damaged. The relatively large Jewish population in Germany at the time was the result of how hospitable the country had once been to European Jews over the centuries. And Jews were an integral part of Germany's once bustling merchant class. In fact, in the years leading up to the Second World War, unemployment numbers were indeed lowest among German Jews, who were often better educated than the average German citizen, were more involved in central economics such as banking, business, and international trade. Compounded with a 
with an increasing distrust of all things non-German and a ridiculous arms race with the rest of Europe and America, a single charismatic leader named Adolf Hitler was able to turn the legitimate concern and pain of his people into a fervor of anti-Semitism, racism, and imperialism. The Jews became the scapegoat for all things wrong in Germany and the justification for the purification of the German Empire. A mere decade and 12 million violent deaths later, the whole world would begin to learn the awful results of scapegoating an entire people. But it's true that scapegoats such as these still exist, and no one is safe from the stigma. In the summer of 2008, a man walked into the Unitarian Universalist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee, pulled out a gun, and started shooting. He killed two people and wounded seven. The question remains, why did this man named David Atkinson do it? Well, apparently he was a fan of right-wing talk radio, and after hearing over and over again all the terrible things that those liberals were doing to the country, Atkinson decided to do something about it. Through his ex-wife, he knew that Unitarian Universalism was a liberal religion. So he figured there must be a lot of liberals in the UU church, and he was probably not mistaken. So he went there and he started shooting them. They were his scapegoats for all of the problems America faced. Now, ironically, Atkinson believed that it was the liberals who were keeping his social security checks from coming or, and his application for disability from being approved. But just like the Germans who believed that the Jews were responsible for their economic position, despite the fact that Jews were some of the only people keeping Germany's economy going, Atkinson's rational understanding was secondary to his need to find a reason for his personal pain. Now, incidentally, the Sign of Love advocacy campaign of the Unitarian Universalist Association, which we'll actually be lifting up next week for Valentine's Day, was founded that following week as a response to the shooting in Knoxville and has been advocating for the peaceful resolution to justice issues ever since, almost 10 years now. But the point is that scapegoats are not rational, but speak to a deep need for autonomy when we are at our most helpless. Germans in the 1930s must have felt helpless to change their most wretched position, and though it was not rational, the plan that Hitler put in place gave average Germans a belief that they were doing something. They had some small amount of power to change their circumstance. Atkinson was obviously just as lost and found in the hate-filled rhetoric of talk radio the hope that he could do something, do something about his situation and the situation he saw for his fellow Americans, as it might have been with Dylan Roof or countless others in the times before and since. So what do we do so that this scapegoating does not continue to take hold of our culture 
What do we do? First thing we must do is take a hard look at ourselves. Find those situations in which we ourselves dismiss the thoughts or actions of another in that classic us versus them mentality. Those Trump supporters, those racists, those Wall Street fat cats and so on. As universalists, we must always remember there is no them. There has always been and continues to be only us. When we begin to stereotype or compartmentalize groups of people based on the actions of individuals, we are starting on that dangerous, slippery slope towards scapegoating. But just as important, we must look to how we ourselves handle disappointment. We must look to how we ourselves handle disappointment. In our culture, it's much more acceptable, at least often, it's more acceptable to become angry by tragedy rather than sad. Rather than grieve the lives lost on September 11th, on September 12th, our president stood upon the rubble and spoke of vengeance, not reconciliation or grief. And understandably, in a moment of such collective pain as those, those days and weeks uh, mid-September were, Many were comforted or at least distracted from their grief with the understanding that we as a nation were going to do something. We were going to punish those who knocked down our buildings and killed our people. How? By doing the same thing on a much, much larger scale. It might have been more healthy and even more constructive, perhaps, to grieve our losses and think long and hard about why those who orchestrated the attack were motivated to do what they did. Could it be that they were also in a bad place, also dealing with failure, and also found a convenient scapegoat upon which to put the blame for their situation? Universalism calls us to consider this not just in times of grief and crisis, but whenever we or someone we love feels vulnerable. Universalism calls us to consider that there are others in pain, and that sometimes we ourselves are the source of that pain. And even when we're not, we know that we are vulnerable to being blamed, just as we are susceptible to blaming others if we do not take the time to grieve and process life's events properly. And ultimately, universalism calls us to forgive, to move beyond the single, isolated incident and to look to the larger picture. If we could all see the hundreds of little things that went into the Marlins winning that game in 2003 or the Mets winning in 1986, we would not focus on the brief actions of two individuals. And Steve Bartman would be able to return to Wrigley Field and Bill Buckner could walk the streets of Boston in peace. And as a slightly happy, happy ending, or happier ending, I guess, to both of these stories, once Boston won the series in 2004, fans hung Buckner, we forgive you signs at Fenway Park, and Steve Bartman was awarded an official 2016 Cubs World Series Champions ring. 
though he would not attend the public rally or the ring ceremony, and he would receive his gift in a private meeting with Cubs ownership. Universalism calls us to all forgive ourselves, our families, focus on our own self-improvement and the improvement of the lives of others, rather than finding the easiest and most convenient person to blame. Because nothing about the scapegoat is easy or convenient. It only serves to divert our attention from where it really needs to be, on continual acts of love. So if we as universalists are charged by our convictions to ever choose love over fear, the scapegoat itself is the epitome of choosing fear. So let us no longer worry about the blame and seek ever to find solutions for our problems in the way of love. And when we succeed, there will be no one to blame, only the community to celebrate and congratulate. So, happy Super Bowl, everyone. May it be so. Blessed be and amen.